Might just grab the uh, pedestal-y thing. Cool. Atmarie. Thank you. <laughs> Have to log on. <laughs> okay. Tenakoto Katoa, Ti Engarangi, Ti Fakapapa, Rangi Mai, Ko Ti Awakarangi, Ti Finua Tupu, Ko Andrew Bennett, Ao, Tene Tato Katoa. Welcome. I'm English. Um, I think I want the English to win. I don't know who did because I think I'd. Rather be playing them in the final, um, which is a way to insult both the South Africans and the English in one sentence. Sorry about that. Um, Lower Hut's my home. Uh, my name's Andrew Bennett. Welcome. Um, so, this morning, let's see, we've got on our slides. Uh, turned on. Ah, there we go. Was that me or was that you? Cool. Just to know. Right. Join together in following my example. These are our verses um, in our Philippians theme over these last couple of weeks, where the summary is to live as Christ, and, and that comes through in every passage, I think, that we read from Paul. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you, and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. These uh, set of passages from Paul, again, are him convicting us of the model that we need to follow to move from our moment of being saved into a, a process of being sanctified. So we're going to break it up into three parts. <clears throat> what is this model? And are we living it? <clears throat> Excuse me. Enemies of the cross, is that about us? And citizenship and eagerly waiting, does that describe us? First part, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. What is this model and what does it mean to live the model? Because on the face of it, we don't always follow Paul's teachings, do we? Um, many of us here are married. We're not celibate. And we have the enormous benefit of teaching from very wise Christian women. I'm not sure what the laughter there is for, but because this is actually really important in Galatians. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
It also goes on further to say in Galatians, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Most important, God is not mocked. Really important, never cease to do good. If it's good, then do it. Let's have a chat about models. We know a bunch of models, contemporary models. We've got fashion models. We've got role models. Uh, we've got sports models. We've got three-dimensional models. As I always enjoy the, that model of the um, Tongariro National Park uh, at uh, Ruapehu. It's a, a big 3D model of it, and you push the lights, and you see where the lights come on and all that sort of stuff. And, of course, we have artificial intelligence models. Um, I, I use the chat GPT probably a couple of times a week um, to answer various questions um, and to give me some insight. And I had a bit of fun with it um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was talking with Steve Penno. Is Steve here? No, he's not here. Good, I'll, I'll say anything I want then, really, won't I? Um, and uh, we were talking about uh, wedding anniversaries because uh, Kerry and I had a wedding anniversary, I think, the following week. Um, and we were talking about whether instead of using the traditional precious stones and metals and so on, you know, gold and ruby and whatever else, we could use the periodic table instead. Yeah, yeah. So it was our 33rd wedding anniversary yeah. <laughs> Should we say, share some arsenic together, dear? <laughs> At least last year I could have bought her a flower because who doesn't like a lovely germanium? I noticed some other words up there just as I was sitting here uh, this morning. Antinomony. That's not a good word for marriages, is it? But at least you could tell Arium that he's on his way out. No, sorry, I won't carry on there. Um, Anyway, so I asked ChatGPT about this just to see, you know, what it would say. And here's what it said. ChatGPT. For the 33rd wedding anniversary, you could consider using the element arsenic from the periodic table. While arsenic may not have the most positive connotation, no kidding, due to its toxicity, you can creatively interpret its properties to symbolize certain aspects of a long-lasting marriage. Here's a way you could frame it. This is, this is an absolute quote from it. Arsenic, 33rd winning anniversary. Arsenic has a dual nature. It can be both toxic and valuable, much like the complexities and challenges that can arise in a marriage over time. And it went on to, to talk some more. You'll notice that the Steve Pino alpha release was a lot more sensible. I looked at number 33, don't do it. Because um, models have a number of issues, don't they? they? They don't change over time. They're only useful in certain contexts. They only highlight a, a couple of limited aspects within those contexts. And Paul grappled with all of those things as he was writing his letters to people then and to us today. It's a bit like the COVID years, um, really, in a sense, um, I and, and other people work uh, in an industry that where we could work remotely. You know, we didn't have to go into work to actually do what we needed to do. 
but there were issues with that. One of them was that we couldn't observe those that it would be really useful to learn from in the workplace, um, how they received new information, how they processed that information, how they responded to people, how they set up situations to achieve some outcome, how they would use body language to prepare people for what they were going to say or to settle them, all those sorts of things, how they reasoned things out before they got to the point where they wrote something down, how they did 95% of the messaging before we get to read the bit in an email or in the Bible. We get the, the broad brushstrokes, don't we? I mean, we probably get, what, 5% of Paul. Imagine living with Paul and all the other stuff that we would have got from living with Paul. We get 5% of that in, in the Bible and what we read. We get the broad brushstrokes. They point at Jesus. He's constantly pointing us at Jesus. But how do we get the details that we want to be able to live our daily lives? Well, Paul's also got an answer for that. Everyone influences someone. Just this week, have a think about the people that you had an influence on. Uh, children, parents, siblings, workmates, friends, um, maybe retail assistants, maybe bank managers. If you have that level of influence, please come and talk to me afterwards. Um, and our key moments of influence may not be when we'd want them to be. Um, a key moment for me was um, when Bron came out and talked at the funeral uh, for Alan, and she turned our grief, in a sense, she reframed it uh, as, again, part of the redemptive story of Christ. The word model here is the word describing the impression left after a blow. That's the Greek word. That's, that's where it came from. And bronze talking was a blow that left a lasting impression on me. Rob, our own pastor, in situations where he's um, under pressure, where there's uh, criticism, uh, where there's conflict, um, the enduring impression that Rob leaves me with is the fact that he will continually try and turn to what Christ would say. He has responses that, you know, we all have our times and moments, but his enduring impression on me is turning to Christ and dealing with things from that point of view. Now, Paul uh, couldn't point us at the New Testament. He was still writing most of it at that point. Um, but he could point us at the model. He could point us at other people who were following the model, just as he did. Our contemporaries, people here today who are following Paul's model. Are you here today? Who went to guess who's coming to dinner? A couple of people. I think we asked this a couple of weeks ago. We went to a, a household, um, uh, a house of people trying to follow Paul's model, uh, but they had a very different background to that which um, I had grown up with. And um, I grew through that experience. I literally got bigger. 
The dumplings were part of that story, but, uh, and they were very nice. But um, through that evening, there was all sorts of growth, all sorts of sanctification, um, becoming more like Jesus that was happening. Because we try to understand the Bible, don't we? Biblical scholars interpret the Bible. Exegesis um, tries to tell us what's in the Bible to, so that we can apply it to our lives. We get confused. How did Paul reason um, that uh, circumcision wasn't required to become a Christian? That celibacy was good in one context, but getting married was good in another context? Um, all of these things are difficult for us to understand, but when we come together and join together, we have that opportunity to learn from each other and understand those things at a deeper level. The word model here, or the, the follow uh, together in imitating the model, is those words are actually one word in the original Greek, meaning to jointly imitate. That's the one word. As Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's the opportunity. We get the broad brushstrokes that are pointing us at Jesus. But we flesh those out by sharing and spending time with our contemporaries, people here today, who are also following that model. We mutually imitate what God is saying. And of course, Jesus has solved that remote worker problem that I talked about before, as he is in God. So he is in us. We have the Holy Spirit to inspire us. We have the Bible, inspired word of God. And we have each other, those of us that are trying to follow the model. The other side of the coin. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is in their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So who is the enemy? Is that non-believers? Is that us? Are you an enemy of the cross? No. Have you ever done anything at odds with the cross? Yes. So um, should I have answered yes to that first question? I think we're a bit like Jim from the Vicar of Dibley. I don't know if you've seen him, but his regular response was, no, 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 yes. Yeah. Now, Paul is actually referring to people that were actively denying Christ's teaching. So does that get us off the hook? Unfortunately, the um, commentators, the Bible commentators, uh, all agree, no. This message is still for us. If you're anything like me, you're worried that you'll be found out. I won't be found out as a serial killer, probably not even as a meanie, but I'm still hiding stuff from myself and from you guys. If we were to create a graph of sinfulness, then it might have these two dimensions. Can you read those just? The uppy arrow is the size of the sin. So at the top there is a big sin. 
the left to right arrow is the size of my denial, hiding it from myself. Our human laws, uh, and even the Old Testament law, tended to focus, of course, on the size of the sin, uh, even when it was trying to assess intent or mitigating circumstances, is it murder, is it manslaughter, it was still looking at the severity of the sin. And then Jesus. Matthew 5, 28 to 29. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's something that our laws can't actually address. God, of course, can see what's going on inside us, and that is where he convicts us. How much we are hiding stuff from ourselves. Luke 18, 13. And the tax collector standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector was commended more than the Pharisee, the Pharisee who was tithing and fasting, uh, doing quite a bit to be seen to be doing good, a bit like me. And he was, the tax collector was commended more than the Pharisee. And have you struggled with stuff, the, the bad that you haven't done, or quite often the good that you should have done? Over a long period of time, struggled with it, to the point where you've had to somehow, just to stay mentally sane, normalize it, sort of make it not what it actually is. Not necessarily turn shame into glory, but turn shame into, yeah, no, that's fine. I can carry on doing that. Again, I think God looks at what that is doing to you internally, rather than what the sin actually is. Here's a, a word that I've invented, the problution. It's the tension that we are the problem indwelt by the solution. We should avoid, desperately avoid, getting in the way of the solution. That focusing our minds on earthly things. Does that mean when we go out shopping for toilet paper, we should not think about whether it's two-ply or three-ply? No, no, it doesn't. We have to dress ourselves appropriately with dignity. We have to provide food. We have to sort our houses out. We have to do this stuff to make sure that we can then get back to where we should be. 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone does not provide for their relatives, and especially for members of their household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Colossians 3, 23 to 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. If you can do something and say, this isn't about me, this isn't about pleasing someone else, this is for God, then just get on and do it so that you can get back to being sanctified with other witnesses as we try and follow the model, as we grow in that model and get pruned in that, in that sanctification process 
if you don't want to be pruned of the stuff that you don't want and don't need, then keep hiding it from us. Turn up, but just keep hiding it from us. Okay. Story so far. Sanctification occurs with other witnesses. We are the problution. Hide the problem, and you'll be hiding yourself from the solution as well. And here's the end game. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Philippi, Philippians. They were, a lot of them were descendants of Roman soldiers who lived in that area. They were citizens of Rome, Roman citizens, but Rome didn't want them back because it was already too crowded and there wasn't enough work for them. They did have a purpose. They were to Romanify northern Greece. Um, a lot of them practiced the Caesar religion and would try and introduce people to the Caesar religion. Caesar was their Lord and Savior. Um, but they did live on the main road to the shortest sea passage to Rome. So retaining their Romanness was pretty easy and pretty relevant. Paul brings out a couple of parallels for us here. We are God's children, his descendants. We are citizens of heaven but are not there yet course, because heaven is too crowded and there's not enough work for us to do. Okay, so it's not completely parallel. Our purpose is to bring many to Christ, who is everybody's Lord and Savior. <clears throat> and to do that, we need to be living on the main road <clears throat> to the shortest passage to heaven. Paul ties two things very closely in these verses. The second coming is very much tied to eternal life, the, um, the new body. Um, Jesus will return. He's going to complete his part. What's our part about? What does that look like? The words eagerly await, uh, they look as though there's sort of two different things, eager and awaiting. They're tied together in one word in the original Greek, apodikomai. Probably pronounced that really badly. Um, eagerness, often associated with the youth and being young, which is great because Matthew 18, 3 says, And he said, I truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's also often associated with doing things without thinking it through, without the right knowledge, etc., which is also cool. Matthew 24, 36, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. <clears throat> we don't even know what heaven will really look like. Is it going to be continual bowing down? Is it going to be flying around with our celestial mates? Um, I was encouraged by reading uh, a book called The uh, Sacred Diary of Adrian Plass age 37 and three quarters. It was based on another um, book. Uh, Adrian was, was also worried about heaven, you know, what that meant, what he was going to be doing there. And a, and a friend of his advised him, at the second coming, <clears throat> when you're heading towards heaven, 
go and strap on all of your cricket gear because that is what Adrian loved. So if you see uh, Grant Malloy putting on his ski gear in the middle of summer, if you see Stephen Silk putting on his running shoes in the middle of the lounge, uh, if you see our worship team heading out to a field with their instruments, no sound system or anything like that, no audience. If you see Jean and Richard Rhodes putting on both their walking gear and their gardening gear and taking a camera, what would the walking stick, some sort of walking stick slash rotary hoe sort of thing, I can imagine, then maybe the time uh, is, is right for getting ready for the second coming. Will you have oil for your lamps like the five wise virgins? <clears throat> Whilst we don't know what heaven is going to be like, we do know that it will be more amazing than we could ever understand. Uh, here's our hero, Marty McFly. <clears throat> and back to the future. Apologies about the coughing. Um, he's really worried. He's worried they're just about to take off in the DeLorean, the time-traveling DeLorean, which is going to zoom down the road, and that's, it needs to get up to a certain speed uh, before it can time-travel. And he goes, hey, hey, uh, prof, I don't think the road's long enough. And I think Jesus' answer would be the same as the professor's. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. That's what it's going to be like. It'll just be something we could never imagine and never understand because we will look at it with earthly eyes. The word uh, enables in those verses, uh, the power that enables Jesus to bring everything under his control, um, is in Greek is the word dynamai, which gives us a word in English. Anybody want to make a guess? Dynamite, everybody's going, it is, it's the word dynamite. That is a real picture of power. We are citizens of heaven, present tense, because of the cross, past tense, and we wait, eagerly await, the second coming, future tense. Do we look eager? Do I look eager? There's um, nothing like writing a sermon uh, to highlight the word hypocrisy. Are we waiting with the eagerness of youth and the faith of those things that we don't yet and should not yet know? That is the question. I'm going to wrap it all up and put a bow on it now. Iron sharpens iron. Our growth is through the messiness of togetherness with those that are following the model of Christ model that Paul pointed us at. Are you up for more of that, for being sharpened with others? Life groups, um, I'm on eldership, Whakarongamai uh, and, and off, and various other groups where it's not always easy, but I'm growing through those situations. I'm getting pruned as well. Um, if you would like that to be a bigger part of your life, then turn to somebody next to you and and pray with them, or come along to the, at the end of the service over to my right here, and somebody would love to pray with you. No details needed. The problution. God sees inside and loves us all the more. The more we hide from the problems, the more we're hiding from the solution. 
for me, things like finances, I think for a lot of people, finances are capturing my brain and the secular a lot more than they should. If you would like God's touch on you to release you from stuff that you know should not be taking up your time, then turn to somebody next to you and pray with them or come and pray with us at the end of the service over to my right here. No details needed. Eager, eager, eager. As I said before, to live is Christ. We won't need roads where we're going. Are you eager? The eagerness of David dancing in front of the ark as it was brought into into the city. Of Anna and Simeon who waited at the temple and whose life just came to, to life when they met Jesus, the baby Jesus. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus against all of the cultural norms. Well, maybe she just wanted to avoid doing the dishes. But sitting at the feet of Jesus with eagerness and awaiting every word that dropped from his mouth. It'll be different, of course, for each of us, but we all know if we've lost that eagerness. If you would like prayer to have a bit more dynamite injected in there or just your Gideon's fleece moment where you get to go back to the faith that you had, then turn to somebody afterwards and pray or come meet us after church over here and pray. No details needed. Turning up is enough. That is the end of my sermon. I do pray that God has spoken to us through any part of the service and the um, parts yet to go this morning, and uh, that it would be a blessing. Thank you very much. I'd like to invite the worship team back up.